Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Wednesday, everyone, inside the Game Gosh Podcast. JC Sherbert here with you. I got lots to get to today. Whew, boy, the drama in Gamecock land never never ceases to amaze me. Uh, big story out there right now. Darla Moore, School of Business namesake, one of the top donors, probably the top donor, history of University of South Carolina, upset because her mother passed away, unfortunately, and the University of South Carolina did not send condolences in a timely manner. And so she sent a letter, said she was embarrassed by her association, and she regretted all that she had done. Um, not a good look for South Carolina. And, and I got a couple of things on this topic because it's, it's more of an academic thing than an athletic thing. And that, that's the first thing I want to talk about here. All right, so Saturday Down South, and um, I've done some work for them over the years, good people that run it. I mean, this is not a slight on them, but by God, sometimes they're aggregators. And what an aggregator is, it's a person that finds stories around the Internet, writes up their own little story and puts their own little spin on it. Then this guy, Adam Spencer, who uh, I looked him up, lives in California, went to Missouri, probably doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge in terms of the inner workings of the University of South Carolina, so he writes, and this, and of course, this gets shared on Facebook, and, and people that don't really know or dig into it, that are just Gamecock fans, freak out a little bit. He puts the football helmet up there. One of South Carolina's biggest boosters is cutting the school off. Well, Darla Moore, and, and I don't know, she probably has given some money to athletics over the years, but it's not like her academic gifts. Uh, you know, they're probably bigger – in fact, I know for a fact there are bigger uh, philanthropists for athletics at South Carolina than Darla Moore. And uh, the, the whole scheme of the article made it seem like, oh, my God, uh, down goes Gamecock football or whatever because of that. And it was just totally wrong. And I would be embarrassed if I were that guy and I wrote that aggregator or not, just because I, I guess I like being right about things a little too much. Uh, but, but that's the first embarrassing part of it is you got some Yahoo – um, and maybe he's not a Yahoo all the time, but this story was a Yahoo, uh, you know, making it out to be something it's not as it relates to football. And, and this is a sports-focused podcast, obviously, so that's what we care about and we talk about. Uh, I care about the academic end of the university as well. But, you know, the fact that that was spun as to be some kind of like Gamecock athletics is in trouble type of thing really makes me want to throw up. Because these days people don't know the difference. They just read the headlines like, oh, my God. You know, you're sitting there, uh, people even talk about it and related to the Frank Martin situation. And, and maybe it is kind of residually because, you know, the university's money was what was discussed uh, by the, you know, the state senators and all that. But, uh, you know, it, it was really, it's really not. You know, Gamecock football is not going away because Darla Moore is upset. I mean, that, that's just the bottom line on all of that. The second thing is this, and here's who's to blame for this situation. You know, first and foremost, uh, I would have handled it differently had I been Darla Moore, but I understand what she's been through. You talk about a person that was removed from the board of trustees for politics. Uh, I don't know any other way around it. You know, that happened during the Nikki Haley administration. 
Um, and then you're talking about, you know, a situation where Clemson and whoever works in their donor office was on the ball and whoever works in South Carolina was not, uh, sent her condolences and things like that. And, you know, she should probably hurt, you know, Hey, you know, this, and this is not the first time something like this has happened at university of South Carolina. And people wonder all the time because it trickles down through athletics. You know, this is not the first time somebody significant uh, that loves the university, you know, that has done a lot for the university has been butthurt because of some, you know, either incompetence or or political agenda. Uh, Now, I know she was not in favor of hiring Bob Castle, and and I know that she was very vocal about that uh, as the school president. And look, I have some thoughts about that, too. I, you know, I, I think that that was obviously a political move. Henry McMaster sort of forced that through. Uh, I understand that these days, higher education, whether we like it or not, uh, it should be apolitical, but it's not. Uh, if you kind of look at some of the philosophies and doctrines and things like that that are taught, it's no longer really the marketplace of ideas like it once was. It's more of a, you know, toward one end of the spectrum. And I understand that to a certain extent, there's going to be some blowback on that. And uh, I think that was what that's the reason Bob Castle's the president. You know, it's a, it was a, a political move. Um, and, and I understand that we're not going to be able to avoid politics in higher education. And, and, and that's kind of uh, in our country. That, that's just kind of a national thing. And, you know, I can get on a different podcast and talk about that for a long, long time. But that, that's the long and short of it. And, and so I understand uh, the questioning of, of, of Castle being the president. What I, you know, what I think. Some of the arguments, like he doesn't have a PhD, I think that's hogwash. I, you know, I, uh, you know, what good is that going to do for? I mean, I can go get a PhD tomorrow. I'm not going to make another penny than what I'm making now. Um, I probably make a, you know, I could probably get multiple PhDs uh, unless it's a, it's a it's a juris doctorate and I pass the bar exam uh, and have a different job. Uh, I'm not going to make any more money, you know. So so I don't know where that values you or makes you more qualified. Uh, to run anything. I, I do think there's a certain uh, level of, of hesitation on the part of faculty and students uh, from the sense that West Point and, and Army is a very different institution than the University of South Carolina. And quite frankly, so is UCF, where he was at. UCF is a commuter type school. They're kind of an emerging school, large student body, lots of commuter students. Um, it's a lot different. Than, than a major research institution where you have residents and stuff like that. Um, so, so I understand all the Bob Caslin back and forth and all that. Uh, and, and, you know, my opinion is give the guy a shot, see what he can do, fire him if he's not good. And that's kind of my opinion on everything, you know, give the guy a shot. But, but I understand all the dynamics and understand why, why she was upset. Now, would I have, written a letter that would have leaked and all that. And, you know, who knows if she leaked it or not, whoever leaked it was, you know, is a moron. (laughs) If, if it wasn't leaked, you know, uh, by her, Um, you know, I think that that's, that's another political hit job or whatever, but, you know, there's a chance that something that scathing is going to become public because it is news. Uh, and Andy Shane's a really good reporter. He reported it for the Post and Courier. Um, and obviously, you know, that's, uh, you know, he's just doing his job. And it was a great, it was a great, well-written article, very balanced and things like that. Gave everybody a chance to comment, et cetera, et cetera. So 
you know, you look at it, I don't know if I'd handle it that way, but, but the bottom line is this, you know, South Carolina and Clemson are competing, whether we like it or not in academics, they're competing. There's two major research institutions in the state. They're competing for dollars. They're competing for students. They're competing for dollars. <laughs> they're competing in athletics. They're competing across the board. That's, that's South Carolina's competition. Um, and, you know, Ms. Moore did obviously give them a bunch of money more recently, you know, for the School of Education up there, named after her father who played at Clemson and, and all that, and that's fine. Um, but somebody in their office obviously knows how to treat its donors, and somebody in South Carolina's office obviously dropped the ball. Now, I don't know. I, I think this is more incompetence than intentional because as soon as South Carolina was aware of it, they did release a statement and with condolences and all that. But, you know, I, I guarantee it's one of those things. It, it happened a few days back. We had Easter weekend. You know, somebody's just sitting there in la-la land. You know, whoever's job that is was sitting in la-la land on the part of the University of South Carolina. And that's unfortunate. And quite frankly, that's unacceptable. Uh, when, you, when you have a donor like that, and I'm not saying donors need to control the process at schools uh, and, and stuff like that, but by God, you give $100 million, you know, you're part of the family, in my opinion. Uh, and that's what it gets down to. You know, you hear in athletics all the time about creating a family atmosphere, and, and they've done that in a lot of programs at South Carolina and all that, a lot of different schools over the years. Well, an institution of higher learning is kind of the same way. We're all kind of part of the family, you know, and you don't do that to your family. You know, you have to keep up with it. Now, you know, how do you find out about something like that? I don't know. We just didn't know, you know, the, the, the Lake City newspaper or whatever. I mean, do you, do you have somebody scout? The bottom line is all that doesn't matter. Somebody at a school USC competes with, their primary competition, found out about it and had the foresight to send condolences and somebody at USC didn't. So I, I think it's an academic. I saw some people blaming Ray Tanner for this. And I was like, man, Ray Tanner can't catch a break. This has nothing to do with him. This the buck stops with Bob Castlin on, on this situation. Um, and it's up to him to fix it. Somebody may need to be fired. Uh, maybe the university as an institution, the board of trustees and the leaders need to get together and say, how can we smooth it over? Uh, my opinion is it, it's sort of the South Carolina way as a South Carolinian and, uh, all that to where we, you know, we usually will sit there and go for the throat. You know, we, South Carolinians, a lot of times, uh, the old saying goes, I'm not going to stab you in the back. I'm going to stab you in the face. South Carolinians, a lot of times are like that. And I'm one of them. So I, I get it. Uh, and, and a lot of times we go after each other with harshness and then cooler heads end up prevailing. And, you know, Hey, well, what if, what if we can, Come to an agreement. So I, I think that's what's going to happen. It's, it's sort of the South Carolina way. Um, it's also sometimes the South Carolina way to remain stubborn for a long, long time. <laughs> and so maybe that's another outcome for it. But I, I, I sort of have faith that, you know, if there's any type of competence uh, on the part of, of the leadership at South Carolina, and, and you know, probably not 100% of the people at South USC have alienated her. It's probably just more leadership. There has to be an avenue to kind of resolve this. Uh, you know, I mean, it's Darla Moore, for God's sake. I mean, you know, her name's on buildings or the, the business school. 
You know, she's, she's one of the, the star donors. If, if it weren't for her and, and her generosity over the years, you know, the university would not have advanced like it was, like it did. Uh, and like it, like it continues to try to, and, and we'll see what happens with this uh, administration. Because I thought Harris Pestides and, you know, starting with Andrew Sorensen, you know, who, who did spend a lot of money, kind of a boondoggle type of situation. Uh, but, but, you know, sometimes you have to spend money to make money. And, uh, again, that's something we can get into later. But through Harris Pestides, you know, it, it did seem like that was sort of a visionary time in terms of leadership to, to bring the university up to, up to standard. You know, I mean, you look at the campus now compared to how it was in 1999, and it's you can't even recognize it, you know. And that takes money and takes philanthropy and, and massaging donors and stuff like that. So whoever was in charge of keeping up with donors uh, probably needs to be fired. Um, if not, you know, probably needs to make amends on this. Uh, and hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. But what I wanted to stress to you guys today is, number one, please don't go on Facebook and, and see this stupid article by Saturday Down South. And again, nothing against that publication. I like those guys, et cetera. I think they do serve a purpose. But this particular article is clueless about the inner workings at USC. I mean, it's just don't write something like that uh, if you don't really know. I mean, you know, it was just like, you know, you re- and I don't know how you read Andy Shane's article in the Charleston Post Courier, and then arrive at, you know, this is about football, you know, or sports, because he's not a sports writer. The word, you know, football, you know, the word booster was never included in Shane's article, but the Saturday Down South article said booster. It's not an athletics booster. It's a major donor to the university, you know, and, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm she's probably given money to athletics over the years, but, um, Far more, far more has gone into building the academic end uh, of USC. And, and that's what this is, is an academic issue. So that's my take on it. Um, like I said, I think it's up to Bob Caslin to, to figure this out and to fix it. The buck stops with him. But then, you know, he's people that work for him that, quite frankly, let him down in, in this situation. Unless it was something intentional. If it was an intentional snub, you can't be that petty. You know, you, you just can't be that petty, especially when it comes to donors. You know, you, you got to kind of kiss a little booty. I mean, that's isn't that what America is all about now? We have politicians that definitely do that. You know, one of their major uh, donors calls and, you know, they're going to they're going to listen. You know, they're going to make sure that they're sending thank you cards and all that. You know, that's, that's the American way, it seems, these days when it comes to leadership. So. That's my take on the Darla Moore situation. I, you know, as far as impact goes, uh, in terms of, I don't know, athletics, minimal. I, I don't mean I, I, unless there's some sort of, you know, behind the scenes money that you know nobody knows about and all that, which which there may, there may be. But I just, you know, to me, I don't I don't think it's uh, don't buy the lie on Facebook and confuse the University of South Carolina as a whole with Gamecock athletics now. You know, like I said, the Clemson thing sticks in people's crawl because, like I said, USC and Clemson compete across the board. I mean, that's just how it is uh, when you've got two major research universities in the same state. Uh, Now, some states have, you know, 
board of regents and they're all like Georgia and Georgia tech and, and the state of Georgia. It's all part of the university system of Georgia. And they have like a, a different governing board for everybody. And th- so, so some States are set up differently, but not in South Carolina, you know, there's two separate entities. Um, and I think this too is a culmination of an example of why not just in athletics, because this does affect athletics, the university of South Carolina needs to go in a different direction as far as the board of trustees go. And, and I'm not saying the board of trustees is this big boogeyman. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the guys that I know that are on the board are great people that love the Gamecocks and love the school and, and want what's best. But you sit there and you start looking at beginning with removing Darla Moore from the board. You know, this is the culmination of all this, uh, you know, which there's no other answer but for political reasons. Um, and you had a governor that did it that's not a graduate of Carolina um, to the hiring of Bob Caslin, which you had another governor sort of interfering. Uh, those are some big things. Those are some big things. And, and you look at Clemson and their board is structured differently. You have Clemson people that can't be replaced that, that have the voting. And then, then you do have some appointments and things like that because it is a state-supported school. But USC is just set up completely different, completely different. And, um, and I think, you know, it's a state supported institution. You're going to have government oversight of any state supported institution as you should. Uh, But as far as big decisions go about leadership and athletics and things like that, you know, at this point, there's just too much meddling for my taste uh, by governors and state senators and state assemblymen, general assembly members and things like that. You're not ever going to get anywhere as an institution with consistent meddling. You know, that, that's just not good. And, and I thought, I felt, you know, for a while there, like, you know, like I mentioned, the, the Pastides era and all that, I felt like Carolina was kind of past all that. And unfortunately, I was wrong, you know, because my whole life I've grown up hearing about how, Carolina's never getting anywhere because of politics. And, and, I, and I was like, well, hopefully that changes. And you, and you had a lot of drama back in the 80s with Holderman and then the, athletically the King Dixon era, the transition to the SEC and all that. And then, then things kind of – the ship kind of got righted. And, again, look at the campus in 99 compared to now. I mean, there's been a lot of progress. But then all of a sudden it's like you can't get out of your own way. You know, some people retire off the board. Some people do this. The president leaves, and it's like, wow, it's, it's like a power grab, you know. And now all of a sudden, you, you've got people, you know, you, you got a governor removing the largest donor in the history of the school from the board. You've got her all upset now, uh, the donor, not the governor. Uh, you got another governor forcing a basically a political appointment down the throats of people. And, and look, I'm not, those of you that voted and support Bob Castle for president, I'm not saying you're, you're wrong. I'm just saying the way it went down was not productive. And, um, you know, so, so now you got stuff like that. You got a state Senator telling, you know, the president, you can't make a change in men's basketball. I mean, that, that's pretty, you know, that's the very definition of meddling, very de- definition of meddling. And it, and it affects the entire university community not just athletics. And I think that's what's very unfortunate about the situation. So hopefully, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this 
every episode. I, I just wanted to get it out there because it's a hot story and people are talking about it. And uh, it affects the entire Carolina family. I mean, I just uh, I'm kind of beside myself when I kind of look back, you know, since, you you know, for kind of the last however many years, all the stuff that's happened, you know, to the University of South Carolina. And, you know, this is an athletics based podcast and, you know, it, it trickles down, folks. It trickles down. If you have unsteady leadership and meddling at the top your chances of being successful as an institution, including on the athletic court field, whatever, uh, that that's, you know, going to be minimal. Look, look at Florida state, go read about Florida state. And that's a different kind of deal than Carolina, but how sort of their leadership in athletics was dysfunctional, all that Jimbo Fisher left all that good stuff and why their football program is where it is right now. It's because of meddling and, things of that nature. Those are not healthy things. And the programs that are good uh, in athletics, uh, from the top down, they're all on the same page. Uh, and you look up the road at Clemson, all on the same page. Uh, and, and I think that's uh, that's a big issue, you know, for South Carolina right now as an institution. And hopefully it get, gets resolved sooner rather than later. All right, so enough of that. I'm, I'm sitting here watching the Instagram live uh, from the Gamecocks football team at practice today. And um, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to some of this. They're just stretching right now. Um, some things I've noticed, I, I just noticed Taka Hemingway. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a video. I'm not there live, but certainly appreciate Justin King streaming it for us because, you know, as a guy that can eyeball players and stuff like that, you know, it, it's, it's not bad getting a good look and eyeball on some of these guys uh, just saw Tonka Hemingway walk by goodness. He looks like he has put on some good weight, broad shouldered guy. Uh, of course, Tonka Hemingway moved inside the defensive tackle working with coach Lindsay, Jimmy Lindsay on the interior. Uh, and I've said this on the board and probably on the podcast before about, you know, Rick Sandage in, in particular with, with Tonka Hemingway moving inside and Jakeem green coming on and Jabari Ellis has had a really good spring you know, Rick Sanders is going to have to step up to, to play. I mean, it, it was a situation heading in where I think everybody was sort of hopeful that, well, hey, you know, this guy is a, uh, you know, is a stud player. If they can get a lot out of him, he may be all they have. But uh, looking at it now, uh, there's some there's some serious competition, and that's only going to make you look better, I mean, as far as the interior goes. Uh, just some notes, Luke Doty. Looks like he's been in the weight room pretty good. <laughs> uh, looks like he's gotten bigger, stronger. Uh, J.J. Anikbare kind of stood out to me. Uh, the backup quarterback, Connor Jordan, who's a walk-on, and a lot of people have been really impressed with him. You know, he's kind of the fourth guy right now, but you need depth, obviously, because you, you've seen disasters happen at that position at certain schools over the years. Uh, so he looks, like, he looks like he's good. You know, uh, Vinny Murphy – who Greg Atkins bragged on the other day is a good looking player. Obviously it's like he's changed his body a little bit. Uh, I'm sitting here watching Jaheim Bell uh, run some routes and uh, he looks good with Kevin Harris. Um, just saw him, EJ Jenkins, my goodness. I mean, that physically you're not going to find a lot of guys that look like this and they're just kind of running sprints right now. Uh, looks like receivers and tight ends are together. Um, Rico Powers looks a little thicker uh, from what I saw. 
uh, so far. And then you go back, number one, Marshawn Lloyd's obviously in a, you know, non-contact type of situation. Uh, but he looks like he's getting back in shape, and uh, that's always a good thing. He he talked about that the other day in his interview. Um, so watching, you know, it, it looks pretty good. I'm about to watch D-line drills, uh, and then I'm going to come back and give you what I thought. All right, that didn't sound like a big pause or anything, but it was. I, I, I took some notes, watched the live stream. Certainly uh, interesting to see the live stream. First news I have, a lot of people have been asking on TheBigSpur.com about Kevion Mullins. Uh, I guess as people do, they follow people on social media, and he was back in Memphis around the time winter workout started, and you didn't hear much about him and whatever. Well, I can report he's practicing. He looks pretty good. Um, saw him catch a catch a pass, make somebody miss. He looks quick. Uh, looks a little less stiff than he was last year. Looks like he's in really good shape. So, you know, there's a guy tight end that, not a lot of people are talking about EJ Jenkins was working individually with the receivers today. Uh, of course, he's a guy they're going to cross train to play tight end and receiver, but he was at receiver today. Just looking at the receivers physically. And I, they were doing some, you know, team drills, 11 on 11 type tempo stuff. And uh, Justin King cut the video and away to more individual stuff. So I don't really know how everybody looked and, and stuff in that team period, but it looked like, to me, Luke Doty was uh, you know, pretty much in command of the quick passing game and things like that from what I could see. Um, just physically at receiver, I thought, you know, you look at Xavier Leggett, Rico Powers, and Jalen Brooks, and, and they all looked apart. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, looking the part is one thing. <laughs> going through drills is one thing. Uh, going and making the plays in games is another. Amarian uh, Brown's very quick. I think he's as advertised. Ortre Smith's moving around pretty well. Uh, very high energy with the offensive line and Greg Atkins. That's not that's not really a big change from what they had with Eric Wolford and before that Sean Elliott. I mean, I think there's probably since John Hunt, there's been energetic offensive line coaches, but you know those guys really look like they're enjoying what they're doing. Um, saw some of the D line drills. Jimmy Lindsay's coaching them up. It's just kind of uh, it wasn't like a one-on-ones or anything, just hand drills with the with the sled. And, you know, Jakeem Green looks good. MJ Webb looks pretty good. Devontae Davis looks good physically. Obviously, Zach Pickens and Jabari Ellis look, look pretty good as well. Um, EJ Jenkins, again, uh, you know, you look at him and you're like, man, how do you how do you stop that if he's – you know, if he can adjust. Now, this is practice and, and not, like I said, not one-on-ones or anything like that, but uh, – you know, look pretty good. So overall, looked like a, a pretty spirited practice today at South Carolina. Uh, thought it was kind of cool that uh, they did this. So I wanted to give you guys here on the podcast sort of um, some notes on it and, and what I thought and all that. Football recruiting, Gamecocks have everybody asked who the next quarterback up was going to be after Tanner Bailey committed and, and some other guys committed elsewhere. Well, there's kids from Delaware. So South Carolina. You know, could be in line to get another guy from Delaware, four-star quarterback, Braden Davis. Uh, he visited Columbia and uh, checked out the campus late last month, learned about the school, had a virtual visit last night. I am heard it went really well. Um, they're going in on him. He's the next guy pushing their chips to the table, from what I'm told. And um, he's going to hear more about uh, the Gamecock offense on Wednesday, today. Uh, when he meets with the staff, 
He's 6'5", 195, dual threat guy, a lot of upside, a little bit raw. Arkansas, Stanford, Duke, NC State, and Georgia Tech, and Rutgers uh, are all kind of also in the mix um, right now. You know, so the Gamecocks have uh, sort of an SEC offer on the table. He's been impressed. He's actually been to Columbia. That's important. He's from Middletown, Delaware. Uh, and of course, that's where Debo Williams and Marshawn Lloyd are from. So, you know, and people were talking today, well, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. Well, Rhode Island's next. If they can corner the market on talent, Delaware. And I'll say this about that state it's a small state, sparsely populated. It was actually the first state. I think Delaware was the first state to uh, sign the, con- the, the Declaration of Independence, maybe, or, or the Constitution. Anyway, it was the first, they called themselves the first state. Uh, if you think about it, as far as football goes, uh, and, you know, because it's people mention Rhode Island and things like that. And Delaware's not in New England; it's it's in the Mid Atlantic. And um, so, if you think about this, you know, the University of Delaware, the Blue Hens, for years they've been an FCS power. Delaware State has had really good teams before. Um, every area that sort of borders the state of Delaware, Maryland, D.C., Northern Virginia, or in the area, they don't necessarily border it. Um, Pennsylvania, that part of Pennsylvania near Philly, New Jersey, Southern New Jersey, all those areas around Delaware have really good football talent. So it stands to reason that even though that state isn't very populated, (laughs) that, uh, you know, there are probably some pretty good athletes, pretty good football players there, just if you look at the track record. Um, not saying the Gamecocks are going to go take four or five out of Delaware every year, but if you can get one and they can play, uh, so be it. I, I don't have a big problem with that. And uh, this guy, Brent Davis, if you watch him on film, you can see sort of the upside, um, and you can't beat his size. Uh, and he's a pretty good athlete. He can kind of run around and make things happen. Good arm. Dad played in the NFL, so good pedigree there too. Um, obviously, uh, as the number one or he's the number six dual threat quarterback in the country, uh, per 24 7 sports composite 0.92634 star guy. Uh, and so the Gamecocks are in pretty good shape, uh, I think, uh, at least early on right now, um, in terms of uh, getting this guy in the mix. Uh, I don't know that I would put a crystal ball in for him just yet, but uh, I do think that. You know, the Gamecocks are in the conversation heavily uh, with him. Uh, and just some testing numbers, you know, at 6'5", six, 6'4 six, so six, and a half, 191 at Nike. Uh, and this was in 2019. So this is two years ago, right? So two years ago, 6'4 and a half, 191, say 6'5", 195. Now, uh, 4.2 second shuttle, which is lateral movement, escapability. Uh, and a four seven eight forty, and you know it, it's a guy that you know and that, that was that was two years ago when he did that on May fifth of two thousand nineteen. Um, so the guy's got some athletic pedigree. Again, you know Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Rutgers, some schools like that are in the mix. But uh, uh, I think the Gamecocks, you know, have made an impression. Uh, from, like like I said, from what I was told. Um. They're going all in on him. Uh, if, you know, those of you that don't remember or, or that don't, you know, you're still kind of feeling your way out with the new coaching staff at Carolina. I'll remind you that K 
Kendall Browse is recruiting him for Arkansas. So everybody knows and likes Kendall Browse. So, you know, there you go as far as, uh, you know, other schools that want this kid. So I, I – and I, I think, look, man, you can uh, – you know, you can, you can sit there and, you know, complain about lo- losing Tanner Bailey. This kid's ranked just as high and, and probably just as good much of an upside. And if they can pull him, I think that's great. Obviously, with the Marshawn Lloyd situation, you know – and, and the Debo Williams situation I mean, Delaware, like I said, it's a small place. So Gamecocks are in pretty good shape uh, with him there. So I hope you enjoyed the, uh, the notes from practice there that kind of got me off schedule a little bit, but uh, I, I felt like I needed to do that for you guys today. Um, I'll be on JB and Goldwater, and this is not the end of the podcast. So don't turn it off. Uh, just a reminder, JB and Goldwater today, uh, 1230. Uh, Eastern time to 1.30. You can catch that live stream or on their podcast. Uh, I'm on there for an hour. And also, uh, you can uh, catch the JC and Morgan podcast later today. we got a big guest lined up. Brad Nessler is going to join us, and uh, it'll always be good to catch up with, uh, for my money, one of the guys that's the, the best, one of the best play-by-play guys out there. Uh, and certainly he knows the, the SEC and all that. So I want to pass that along. Um, another recruiting note, defensive tackle Felix Hickson of Jack- Jackson, Georgia. Jackson, Georgia is not Jackson County, by the way. Jackson County is where Jefferson is, the speed trap on your way to Athens off 85. Jackson, Georgia is in Butts County. It's the county seat. It's kind of down I-75 toward Macon. Uh, Felix Hickson, and, and and this is a guy Jimmy Lindsay's been in on. Um, he's going to take an official visit. Uh took a visit to Columbia on his own um, and, and is a player that, you know, Carolina feels pretty good about. Uh, Florida's in the mix for him. Georgia Tech and Virginia are going to get visits uh, in June. Uh, I, I would watch Georgia Tech here because this is the type of guy. He's a high three-star guy from Georgia. Maybe doesn't have – probably isn't a guy that Georgia may offer – or not, so that's going to move his ranking down, right? Because that's that's kind of how things go when you're ranking the state of Georgia. But um, not that I agree with that. But this is the type of guy Georgia Tech wants to make a living off of. You know, the type of guy that has SEC, ACC offers that they can develop into NFL guy. And you watch him on film, and oh, shoot, he plays end at you know whatever weight he is right now, two seventy five, two eighty, and can move, long arms, good swim move. Uh, so, so Felix Hickson, to me, uh, when you're talking about D tackles, you know, to me, he would be a priority. Uh, and I don't really care what his star ranking is right now because there's numerous guys from the state of Georgia that aren't ranked all that high that end up in the NFL. And we kind of all know that, uh, that, that that's such a big state that it doesn't matter. He's um, 6'3", 285 is what he's listed as. Kentucky's offered Illinois, Arkansas, like I mentioned, Virginia. Florida is a big factor with him as well. Um, Virginia has the one crystal ball that was from February. Uh, But I I think the Gamecocks are are right there. And this is the type of kid, I'm watching this film right now, guys. I mean, he gets penetration, like I said, long-armed. I don't don't know. I, I think this kid's pretty athletic. I don't know what the criteria is on the D line to get an offer from university of Georgia, but uh, this kid looks pretty good. And so this is a player I think you should feel good about. 
Uh, read the Phil Kornblut report on him the other day and been gathering intel otherwise uh, on him and his ability. So I think uh, that's another recruit to look forward to. You can never have too many D tackles. Uh, and I like this kid better on film than I liked Kobe Smith coming out of the state of Georgia. I, I think this kid's got a little bit of that middle South Georgia swag to him and not an Atlanta kid that you got to coach up. I think, uh, I think he's a guy to really look out for. Very disappointing baseball loss last night. I'll touch on it briefly. And look, I understand it's, you never want to lose North Carolina if you're South Carolina and that game in Charlotte, the Gamecocks have lost a lot more than they've won. Uh, although they did win in 2019. Uh, there's two points I want to make. Number one, it was a you know tough offensive night for the Gamecocks. Uh, I think part of it was they, you know, that, that when Seitler hit the home run, it seemed like seemed like to me, and, and I'm not a baseball guy, but it seemed like to me they were kind of just swinging for the fences, hoping beyond hope they connect and and end the game. Uh, number one, and then number two, that shortstop for UNC folks, and then I didn't see this. Uh, obviously, there was negative post game reaction. I didn't see anybody mention him. Uh, on the message board or Twitter or otherwise. Look, man, uh, gosh, I still got Felix Hickson's film going. My goodness, he just took the ball from somebody's hands and like Melvin Ingram-esque and ran a touchdown. I'm not comparing him to Melvin Ingram. Don't think that, please. But uh, Melvin made some plays like that in high school. Um, Yeah, he's not as fast as Melvin. I've seen another pursuit thing here. Now, he's not as fast as Melvin. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I didn't see anything about the North Carolina shortstop. It was all about the Gamecocks. And I guess we, when you have a great program like Carolina baseball, your fans are always going to focus on what you didn't do rather than the other team. But that, that shortstop robbed – I mean, Carolina's probably not going to face a ton of guys at shortstop with the ability that that kid had. And his name escapes me. But, uh, uh, but anyway – so there are people that are upset, mad at Mark Kingston, whatever. And look, you should be upset when you lose North Carolina in that in that setting, like in that manner. Um, you know, North Carolina just pulled it out. I mean, that was the bottom line. Bosnick had just filthy stuff, but that one pitch, you know, on the game-winning RBI, that that was just he went to the well one too many times there, and it was a good piece of hitting by the UNC kid. So. You know, and the other thing is this, and, and I, this drives me crazy. So you have people that want to never play North Carolina and Charlotte again. And let me just break this down for you. You know, and I know some of you that don't live in Rock Hill or Charlotte and that area, you're like, well, why do they do that? I'd rather, you know, just go to the game at Founders Park or whatever. Well, here's why. Charlotte's the largest metropolitan area that's the closest to the university. It's in North Carolina, so you have – a pretty strong Tar Heel backing there, but it's still an important city for the University of South Carolina in athletics. Uh, it's usually a game that's during the time of the year when the weather's nice in the middle of the week. South Carolina has a ton of alums in that area. Uh, and if you ask them, they probably don't want to see it moved, even though they've lost. I, and I understand the, you know, the, the, the bad negative feelings. I think we all, at times try to avoid places that bring back negative feelings or memories. But uh, look, man, that's just not how it works in athletics. You know, the, the, the key for the Gamecocks is to start winning the game more often. And that's the bottom line. You know, should have won last night. I mean, but you don't quit playing. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, I don't know. That's really kind of a weak deal in, in my opinion. You know, you don't, you don't just, you know, Oh, we don't want to play in Charlotte anymore. Blah, blah, blah. 
you know, because the Gamecocks had it was a limited crowd. Gamecocks had more fans there last night than the Tar Heels, so there's no like Tar Heel home field advantage. Um, and so, you know, look, just just give that time. Uh, I understand the people that you know were kind of tired of playing football games in Charlotte. I don't think that's any excuse for the crowd that showed up in 2019 against the Tar Heels. Uh, I think that was awful you know, to be honest, for both teams. And and you'll see that Georgia and Clemson, uh, although that's a top five matchup, and I understand that, but you, you, you'll see that, you know, they're not sitting there worried about it. They're going to go make the most of it and probably fill that puppy up uh, in uh, when they play in Charlotte this year. Uh, and big-time programs, it doesn't matter where you're playing. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're tired of the opponent. Uh, you show up. Now, bowl games – that may be a little different because how many times can you really go to the Outback and Gator Bowl? I mean, even like, you know, programs that historically travel well, like Tennessee, you know, and, and they, they're in the Gator Bowl under Pruitt, that the, the one good year he had. Uh, in years past, Tennessee's probably packing it out. But where we're at right now with these bowls in the SEC, you know, we're going on about 25, 30 years with the same tie-ins. So it gets boring, and I get that. I mean, bowl games are a different deal, but you play a game, you know, 70, 50 minutes from your campus uh, in football, you know, you, you need to show up, especially if it's a, it's an opener. And so in 2023, hopefully they have that different. But I think those games too, though, Ray Tanner, the administration, they've kind of heard the, the cries of the fans not wanting to continue to do that every single year. Uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, when you look at the schedule down the road, uh, Gamecocks do have a two-game series with NC State coming up. Um, you know, you, you've got the uh, SEC uh, – not the SEC, the Chick-fil-A kickoff, which, quite frankly, I never thought uh, – uh, let's see. All right, I'm going to give you the exact dates. Here we go. They've got the 2037 Gamecock schedule. Oh, they play Clemson. Um, they play Clemson. Hold on. So in 2026, Carolina plays Miami at home. 2027, they play Miami again. So it's a home and home with Miami that they've got scheduled. 2028, nothing scheduled. 2029, I'm trying to find that NC State. There's an NC State home and home scheduled. And so yeah, okay, 2030 and 2031, Gamecocks play NC State at home in 2030 and go to Carter-Finley in 2031. And then I think it's 2033 and 34. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let's go 2035 and 36. Yeah, 2035 at Virginia Tech. And I think 2034 – is at home at Williams Bryce against Virginia Tech. And in 2025, that's 2034-35, Gamecocks play the Hokies in the Chick-fil-A kickoff. So three games against the Hokies, two against Miami, home and home with NC State. There's a home and home with a Big 12 team. Strong, strong speculation that it's going to be West Virginia. Uh, in fact, that's – I think it's probably going to be West Virginia. Uh, that's coming down the pipe. So – they've kind of gotten away from that Charlotte thing. And I actually think too, you know, Charlotte 
has always been more about what could have been, what could be. You know, it'd be nice if the Gamecocks could fill up Bank of America Stadium. The only crowd I was really disappointed in with Carolina was uh, 2019 because, I, you know, 2017 against NC State, that was a pretty big crowd considering, you know, 3 o'clock kickoff. I mean, it was in the ticket prices and all that. Uh, the first game up there against UNC on the Thursday night, man, in 2015, I mean, you, you can't have a 6 p.m. kickoff in downtown Charlotte on a Thursday and expect a bunch of people to show up. But I think it's more about what could be. I think Atlanta, as the kind of the epicenter of the SEC, the capital of college football, that kind of thing, is you know more of an honor and more of a special thing to play in. So hopefully the Gamecocks maybe can get their find their way back uh, after going and playing the Hokies in 2025. But uh, you know that's the thing there. But but back to the baseball situation. You know, don't you don't pull the game out of Charlotte because you're losing. I mean, think about what the message that sends. Oh, we're just gonna, gonna take our ball and go home. Uh, and like I said, there's thousands of South Carolina alumni in that area. It's a midweek game at a nice ballpark in a good setting. It's it's probably fun to go to, to be honest. You know, kick back on a th- maybe take Wednesday off, go kick back, have a few with your buddies. So I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not in favor of moving that thing or, or, or doing it. In fact, I, I think maybe they should do it more. Do it more. So that's the deal there. All right, there's two ways to get into the mailbag. The first way to get in the mailbag is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. And we have a few here. Um, so Matthew, so, and then email, of course, inside the gamecast at gmail.com. We got a few more there too. So Matthew says, fire Frank Martin. I've supported this program with a lot of my time and money, and our program's currently being burnt to the ground. And uh, on the Twitter account, we retweeted and said, this, all this attrition was expected. Uh, and I don't have a lot of time to get into all of it. Justin Manaya said he's going pro or going in the portal yesterday, and that was expected. Manaya's been there four years. He's got his degree. It's kind of like Kier Thomas in football. Um but there's the perception there because they seems like they lose a guy every day to the draft or whatever that it's bad. And he said, you know, I said, well, this is expected. And he goes, I agree with you to a certain extent, but we're going to find ourselves in the exact same spot next year, having wasted another year, not closing the ever widening gap with other SEC programs. Well, right now, you know, so Carolina had a bad year. All right. That doesn't mean there's a huge gap. It's almost an unknown. I mean, you know, Florida's lost a bunch of its roster. Now, you can say I don't have any faith in Frank Martin to put together a team next year, and that's fine because I think I think it's fair to question when you're a system coach like Frank Martin if you can piece it together with, with guys that are in their first year. Uh, I think it's better to have experienced guys that are used to it. I mean, so I think that's fair. Um, but, you know, that situation has been – you know, I mean, it's not over until they sign it, sign the deal, but, you know, that, that situation was sort of taken out of the university's hands, like I talked about at the opening of the show, politics. Um, and, and I think what you're basically asking Frank Martin to do is rebuild it for a third time. That rarely happens in college athletics. Uh, you know, you know, you rarely get three chances. You know, the first build ended in a Final Four. The second build – peaked at 18 and 13 and bottomed out with six wins in a weird COVID year. And so now you're starting over again. So we'll see uh third time, maybe a charm, you know, I, I, 
I still believe that the key to South Carolina basketball, um, and for the life of me, I, I thought going to the Final Four would would facilitate consistent success. You know, is to go to the postseason most years with with you know three fourths of those going to the Big Dance. You know, because right now in the SEC, and, and one of your good points here, Matt, is as far as the gap goes, it's not that there's this gap or whatever, but there's programs that are on the rise in the league. Alabama, you know, great year for Nate Oates. They're bringing in a top five class. Like a like they've always recruited pretty well out there, but this is this is Kentucky level. You know what they're doing. Arkansas is a program goes to the Elite Eight on the rise. You know the Razorbacks. Uh, you know you, you look out at A and M and they struggled this past year, but you know Buzz Williams is going to turn that thing. There's too much talent in Texas. Uh, LSU, say what you want. They've they're always going to have players. Um, Rick Barnes isn't going anywhere from Tennessee. I mean, so there are some programs that you know, are setting themselves up, you know, to be a program other than Florida and Kentucky that's consistent within the league. So, so yeah, that is a concern. And you kind of wonder where the Gamecocks fit. I agree with you there just because it's not, you know, the other schools aren't sitting still. So if you're Frank Martin, what are you going to do? Now, look, (laughs) Frank Martin up until this season, when he got into league play, Gamecocks were pretty doggone good, you know, as far as winning league games. And and I, I still continue to maintain that they're at the spot because of some of the unexplained losses, you know, before this past season. You win the games you're supposed to win. You get to the postseason. Nobody's sitting there going one out of nine. Uh, you could look at the COVID situation this year and say, ah, it's a one-off. Um you know, this this is by far the worst year of his 14-year coaching career. This is atypical of a Frank Martin team. He'll get it back together. He had some issues. Um, and, and you just chalk it up to an atypical year. And it was. That's factual to say. You know, these people that want to sit there and, you know, dismiss the COVID issue and dismiss all the issues, no. I mean, and, and like I said, I'm not saying that, a change shouldn't have been made. I was behind it. If 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 they wanted to do go in that direction, I thought it'd probably be good for Frank too to get another job. But look, it, it's a situation where you can't just say, ah, well, everybody else had to deal with COVID, you know, and and you know, regardless of what you think about the virus, the rules are if you're positive, you have to shut it down. Now, you can also say, well, they didn't handle it very well. They didn't protect themselves like other teams on campus. I mean, those are all fair deals, but, you know, look, it caught up with Kentucky this year. It caught – I mean, and and, and like I said, you know, if it were just this year, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. It's the law of the unexplained losses to teams that South Carolina, quite frankly, was better than. So so that's what you got to fix. I think uh, if you're Frank Martin, I, th- I think you got to maybe look at a one game at a time, which I'm sure he does. I mean, you know, you listen to what he's all about one game at a time, but you know, you got to win those games against teams you got, you need to beat. And I'm not talking about Liberty beating them this year. Liberty obviously was a really good NCAA tournament team. Wofford, the year Wofford beat them. Wofford was a, 
what, a seventh seed almost locked, knocked off Kentucky. I'm not talking about those types of games you lose to like mid-majors that everybody thinks you, you should beat, but you, you're really not that as good. Uh, I'm talking the Stetsons and Wyomings of the world, the Stony Brooks, the Boston Hughes, you know, those things. When when Vanderbilt has only one one league win and you got everything on the line to get back on the bubble to get to 11 conference wins and you go up there and lay an egg, you know, those types of things uh, are tough, you know, and, and those types of things are the reason that we're here. Uh, and so, you know, Frank Martin's going to get a chance to build it for a third time. We'll see what that holds. Uh, not going to get a ton of time to do it, in my opinion, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Bullheaded says, can you explain why upstate South Carolina has become more viable for major recruits? Is it the emergence of Greenville? Listen to an FSU pod, and they pointed to that, plus the BMW plant bringing more jobs and people into the area. Is it a future Power 5 gold mine? Well, I, I don't know what was said on the FSU pod. The upstate of South Carolina has always been a gold mine. Um, this year we're seeing, you know, Greenville County in particular have, you know, three guys that, you know, are among the top, you know, prospects in the country, but this is nothing new. I mean, Spartanburg County puts out players, Cherokee County puts out players, uh, Anderson County puts out players. Greenville is, is cycling up a bit. I think in that particular County, it's been more, the investment they've made into their athletic programs across the board and the coaches they've hired. And yeah, the growth, anytime you have growth in an area, uh, it's going to really help in, in terms of prospects. I, I saw that when I lived in Nashville, but the FSU people are looking at it from like, I don't, I don't know what, what, I don't know who decided to say that or whatever. And not that I don't agree that there's a lot of players in, in there, but, but that's, they've always had a lot of players, you know, upstate South Carolina is, a population base within the state. And, you know, it puts out players. Columbia puts out players. Charleston, Rock Hill. Rock Hill is more known because of the big-time guys. Maybe the upstate gets to that point. There have always been great football programs and teams in the upstate. Um, so I, I don't know where the the whole, oh, this is emerging. It's not an emerging area by any stretch. Now, it may, you know, there may be more, but uh, – Heck, there may be more in Charleston, Columbia, and everywhere else. And then there's always places like the PD and the low country where you're going to have guys. You just got to go find them. So um, so I don't know. I don't know if this has become more viable. We'll, we'll see. We'll tr- you have to track it for more than one year. Uh, and you can see how it trends uh, from here on out. But still a great question and sort of in my wheelhouse. So I appreciate you there. All right. So... Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com for the email portion of the mailbag. Mark says, I know you try to not get too political on your podcast, but what do you think about the Darla Moore incident? Her response seemed emotional, like she had something to get off her chest. That's just my initial reaction. Yeah, I, I thought it was an emotional response. And uh, just like a lot of people, uh, male and female, uh, a lot of people, I guess, don't like it when you when you if a female has something that brash to say these days if you say they're being emotional people think you're sexist i i think in some instances that's probably valid that's not what i'm saying here uh i think if it were god say yeah they're getting they're emotional because that was an emotional deal when you talk about how it's your life's embarrassment about something that's emotional um 
but I went through all that at the top. And, and so, Mark, I answered your question right off the bat, and I'll move on here. Thomas says, JC, just so I follow correctly, if Ray fires Frank immediately at the end of the season, Alex English and his faction on the board of trustees would still have time to rally their friends in politics to force the athletics department hand by way of a Senate subcommittee. Seems like the extra time to offer Frank a way out, allow for the wheels to be put in motion for this opportunity for Jackson to put the squeeze on. Also, have you read Cult of Frank? It seems like playing out very similar as it did to Manhattan, Kansas. Reminder that he left a 27-win team behind at Kansas State, by the way. Media loves him and defends him. He's got a riff with the admin, Kaslin. I don't know where you're getting at, that he has a riff with Kaslin. I mean, <laughs> Ray Tanner was on board with – I mean, you people act like Ray Tanner just has no say, that the general's just walking around making decisions. That's not what's happening. His players were leaving, and he was able to find his soft landing at USC. Uh, well, he left – again, he left behind a 27-win team. And, look, the Cult of Frank was written by an SB Nation website – uh, not universally, but most of those guys are huge homers. And, and looking at it from one standpoint, I'm sure John Curry may have said that. But, you know, you, you want to sit here and take John Curry's word over Frank Martin's, and then you have a 27-win team you leave behind. I, I, I don't I – don't, I, 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 I'm not saying that there wouldn't have been some transfers and some guys maybe weren't thinking of leaving – but the issue with Curry ended up being was that Frank had an NCAA tournament team and there was some BS suspension that took place. Uh, and that was the final straw. So that was the rift with the admin out there. The cult of Frank, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. It's written by Kansas State homers. And it's on SB Nation. So, so you know, sometimes there's some good stuff, like the Bagman thing on SB Nation was legit to a certain extent. But, but you have to understand who, who's writing this. I mean, huge Kansas State fans. Obviously, they're going to draw. But the guy left a 27-win team behind. Um, only difference is nobody came calling this time around. And, and look, it's, it's indisputable that nobody offered Frank Martin the job because he'd be gone. So, no. I, I, and I think, Thomas, a lot of times you, we've had these debates for years. In your mind – you, you have like this idea about process, okay? And you're wrong 98% of the time, and you're, you're wrong here. Um, it, it would seem that way, and I understand that you're going to kind of cling to this, obviously, because that's just kind of how you do. I, I, I've never changed your mind once in, you know, almost 20 years of debating this stuff with you. Uh, going back to the days where you used to email the, 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 uh, the box back in Columbia. So I understand kind of your way of thinking and uh, how ridiculous it is sometimes because you're not going to be convinced otherwise. Uh, but no, that's not, that's not what happened. You, you had to go through a process anyway. Um, and it wasn't like, Oh, well there's time and it's lingered. So let's go do this. Uh, they were never going to like cut bait immediately after the season. Because there's a right way and wrong way to handle things. And the right way is if Frank says, give me a chance to get another gig, 
you do that. And that's not something that's uncommon. Uh, and they weren't just sitting on their hands, not vetting potential replacements. And, and they weren't just sitting on their hands, twiddling their thumbs and saying, well, we don't know what they're going to do. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, and, and, and so the Senate subcommittee was a factor um, but really, you know, I think that was just something unfortunate that happened that wasn't handled very well by Bob Castle. Um, and I think that, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think Ray Tanner handled it the right way and was overruled. Um, and so that happened. Uh, so you can think the extra time was – you know, the problem, but I, I, I think that, you know, if you did it right away, you'd run into the same issue because it wasn't like coming up at the end of the season that there was going to be this big surprise that a change was going to be made. You know, the wheels sometimes, Thomas, go in motion with these things long before anybody even talks about it. And I think that's where you miss half of your stuff is – you, you're just kind of looking at what you consume through the media and read and you try to put two and two together and, and, and say, well, that's what's going on behind the scenes. And most of the time that's wrong. So there you go. So the, yeah, the cult of Frank, I've read it. I read it when he got hired. Don't believe it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I believe probably half of it. I, I just don't think that something written by a bunch of Kansas state fans, which is, I mean, that's the only outlet. The only outlet that said anything about it. Uh, and then you have the fact that it was a very public disagreement with the athletic director uh, about his player getting suspended or whatever. You know, that, that's the reason. And then you have John Curry and his career. Okay, so you know, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe SB Nation just because you're pissed off because Frank Martin didn't win enough games at South Carolina? Uh, so you're just going to put this, you know, you know, Homer propaganda on a pedestal and then just forget about, you know, everything else that's factually there and who all is involved, you know, just because a guy didn't win enough games in Carolina. Nah, I don't, I don't roll that way, Thomas. And you maybe should not either. Noah says, JC, I think I may not, I may be one of the last people still in Frank's corner. Next season, no doubt, will be a challenge. But it looks like there could be a core of exciting new players like Chico Carter. What other types of players do you think Frank will bring in through the transfer portal? This is what I don't know. Um, I'd love to see him get the kid from the Citadel, the Rice kid. He's a scorer. I, I, I think, though, that Frank's going to go and – you know, like uh, there's a kid, I think A.J. Wilson's his name from – or E.J. Wilson from George Mason. He's kind of a on-the-block defender, 6'7", 230, defensive guy. Uh, I think he's going to go find defensive guys. I mean, that, and that's that's the question that I think everybody has. Uh, you know, there is a scenario where if – you know, let's say Keyshawn Bryant and A.J. Lawson come back and – they maybe lose one, two more from the portal to them. And then they replace them with good players from the portal. And, you know, they've got a four-man recruiting class that some people think is their best one. You know, then, then there's some hope, uh, I think. And I don't think there's a chance – Or and Kusinar comes back, you know. I don't know that there's a chance that that happens. Um, I, I don't – you know, based on 
you know, when, when Frank's hit the portal so far with transfers, sometimes, you, you know, you get guys that don't ever play. Um, sometimes you get guys like Frank Booker that, that it takes them till mid season, but they end up getting it and playing well. Same with Wes Myers, uh, who's kind of a role player and same with, uh, although he scored 22 and a win at Florida, uh, same with Trey Campbell, kind of a role player, better than expected, but not good enough. Uh, and so it's been a mixed bag. So you, so you look at it and, and then you look at the fact that he's a coach that when he's at his best, he has guys in his program multiple years. Now, Kansas State, he had some transfers that did well, but they were there multiple years. Uh, it's a different style of play. Now, good news is <laughs> Frank gets back to the tournament. Chances are great. He's going to win. He's never lost a first-round game. He's, he's, you know, one of the better – coaches in college basketball when it comes to the tournament, just because his style is so different, you don't see it, but it is a unique style. Nonetheless, I would be lying if I said it's the most popular style with the kids these days. Uh, I would say that I don't care about that, that if it's popular or not, as long as he gets enough players to go implement it, South Carolina can be a successful basketball program, but there's the problem and you're trying to do it in one year, one off season. And that's, that's the challenge when you're talking about next year is, you know, I have no doubt, you know, next year, Frank Martin will coach better next year. The team will play better. The question is, is how much better and how much of a difference is that going to make with the trajectory of the program? Uh, you know, let's say you go 16 and 15, you're, you have a winning record, but you missed the NIT again. Is that going to move the needle and give people enough hope? You're looking at one NCAA out of 10 years. I don't know. One out of 18 as a program. Uh, you know, and, and so it's tough when you're dealing with all this roster turnover. You're dealing with who Frank Martin is as a coach and when he's at his best with personnel. And then you're looking at a program that, you know, and a coaching staff that needs to make the NCAA tournament or there's probably going to be a change. And that's just a tough sell. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh can a miracle happen? Can things break their way in recruiting? You know, maybe. I mean, you already got Matt Cross, who was committed or who, who looked pretty good for the Gamecocks and ended up going to Miami with Earl Timberlake. And, you know, then he transfers. He's going to Louisville. So, you know, there was no consideration there, you know, and, and that guy could have been a difference maker. Uh, you know, you do have Earl Timberlake who transferred out. I mean, where is he? I don't know. He's been gone for three weeks. Memphis is in the mix. You know, you, you just uh, – so, so, you know, who are you going to go get? You're looking at some mid-majors. You're looking at some guys maybe with ties to Columbia. Is that going to be enough? And I like Chico Carter. I think, um, you know, I, I'm not hyping him. Can he be an SEC level basketball player and help the team? Yes. You know, I'm not overhyping him or anything. I saw some stuff the other day where somebody talked to some coach or something somewhere. Oh my God, these guys, Chico Carter can't play and Jacoby Wright can't play and they need to quit. People need to quit hyping these guys, you know, and I, I don't know. You, know, you can talk to 10 high school coaches. They have 10 different opinions about things and, I've learned over the years that there, there are a few you need to listen to and a lot of them have their own agenda about, about things or they just 
they're just looking at like when their team played them, maybe that kid had a bad game and they're, they're making that. Oh, I just don't think he's that good. It's fine. I think you should listen to everybody, but be very selective with, uh, I guess what you, uh, you know, what you kind of put front and center. All right. I'm a lot out of time today. It's been a good, uh, good uh, podcast though. Again, don't forget JC and Morgan. Don't forget JB and Goldwater. Um, got some notes coming from practice today, football practice. Don't forget about the Darla Moore situation. <laughs> Email or write your local congressman and tell them to stay out of South Carolina athletics. Anyway, appreciate all you guys today and uh, hopefully uh, be back tomorrow and uh, maybe we have some news or whatever. Uh, even Thomas, I want to thank you for contributing to the mailbag. I know I don't agree with you most of the 98% of the time. Uh, and I said why, but uh, I really appreciate you being a part of it because you sort of need adversaries in this business uh, and, and not guys like that you compete with, like well, not the guys from Gamecock Central because that, that, that's, that's like professionalism and stuff. And uh, I'd rather argue with, you know, people from my end and, you know, sit there and try to make myself feel better about, you know, trashing others. So anyway, look, hope you guys have a good one. Uh, we'll holla at you soon. Uh, be sure to rate this five stars. And don't forget Brad Nessler on JC and Morgan coming up later today. This is JC Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. <laughs>